we are heading back to Caleb McGarry Island. You are Locked On Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So, guys, you know me. I'm Aaron Freeman, a.k.a. Mr. Drew, a.k.a. Serious Black, a.k.a. the most humble host of this illustrious Locked On Falcons podcast. You are daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of a Locked On Sports Atlanta podcast family, your team every day. And today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sports book of the NFL. Make every moment more by visiting fanduel.com slash locked on today to get started. And guys, we thank you for making Locked On Falcons your first listen each and every day. Of course, it's free and available Monday through Friday in a variety of podcast platforms, including on YouTube. Subscribe to Locked On Falcons on YouTube, and you will get the video version of the podcast the night before the audio drops. And check us out on your Roku and Amazon Fire TV by downloading the Locked On Sports Atlanta app on your Roku or Amazon Fire TV. So today's episode, a little bit later, we'll be joined by Locked On Saints host Ross Jackson to discuss David Onyemata and Caden Ellis uh, and get his insights into those players and what they are bringing to Atlanta and you know also what they may be losing in New Orleans, uh, which is just you know kind of the bonus cherry on top. But today we're starting off talking a little bit about Kayla McGarry, who re-signed with the Atlanta Falcons Tuesday evening. And I'm recording this, guys, before we get into that, uh, you know, a few hours after 4 p.m. Eastern time at the start of the league year, when all the various moves that we've been discussing over the last couple of days officially become official. And as of this recording, the only official move that the Falcons have announced was the Janu Smith trade. And I'm just kind of assuming that the Falcons are holding off on announcing those other moves because they need just want to get people in the building and do all the stuff with the new studio and have those people sign the contracts and post with all that stuff. So, you know, I, I think we'll we'll see that news get kind of trickled out over the next day or two uh, heading into the weekend. But let's start our conversation talking about our return to Caleb McGarry Island. We have to go back, Kate. We have to go back. And I appreciate all you guys that know that reference. And for those of you that are confused by that, then, uh, you know, hey, man, you know, try to be born before, you know, 2002 or something like that. But uh, the Falcons signed Caleb McGarry to a three-year, $34.5 million contract. Don't quite know the guarantees yet on that deal. But it is sort of notable um, to try to figure out what those guarantees are, largely due to what we discussed a couple of weeks ago on the Salary Cap 101 episode here on the podcast, where we basically discussed how once guaranteed portions of contracts kind of expire, most NFL teams, unless the player is playing at a really high level, look to sort of move on from those players. And so it'll be interesting to see with Kayla McGarry, 
you know, how many years of this three-year contract are guaranteed based off of the precedent set by the three-year deal signed by David Anyamana and Bradley Pinion, where both of those guys had the first two years of their contracts uh, guaranteed. My suspicion is that this Caleb Gary deal will break down into a two-year contract, and then we'll see based off of that. So we've spent a lot of time over the last month plus talking about the potential of the Falcons to get off or stay on Caleb McGarry Island. As you guys well know, I have stated many times over the last several weeks that had I been in Terry Fontenot's shoes, I would be looking to get off the island. But I've always thought all along that the Falcons would prefer to stay on the island by maintaining that continuity and stability on their offensive line. We always talked about how last year the Falcons, you know, basically ran it back with the same starting five from 2021 uh, heading into training camp. And if they were willing to run it back with those guys and those guys weren't very good as a collective unit, you know, why wouldn't they choose to try to run it back with 2022 starting five, which as a collective unit was actually pretty good, a great run blocking unit. Some of that owed to uh, Caleb McGarry's performance as well. And we'll sort of see, you know, we got four out of the five right now. We'll see what happens with Elijah Wilkinson, uh, the other remaining uh, free agent uh, for the Falcons starting offensive line and see if he also returns. But my expectation is that the Falcons will try to bring him back. Um, and, you know, when it came to whether or not Caleb McGarry was going to return, it always seemed to boil down to price tag. You had to get him back at the right price. Um, and we saw early in the week with the uh, opening of the legal tampering period, especially on Monday, uh, we saw two blockbuster deals for the other two sort of top right tackles. It was Jawan Taylor, Mike McGlinchey, and Caleb McGarry were widely considered the sort of the three premier right tackles on the market. Jawan Taylor is no longer going to be a right tackle based off of the early reports because the Kansas City Chiefs signed him to a $20 million a year contract with $60 million guaranteed, and they're expecting him to replace Orlando Brown as their new starting left tackle. Mike McGlinchey uh, went to wherever team he went to, I can't even remember, um, and signed a, a, a multi-year deal worth $17.5 million a year, and over $50 million of that was guaranteed as well. And so it looked like, okay, if this is what the offensive tackle market, and we've been talking – you know, I think this we we actually started talking about how bad the offensive tackle market and free agency was going to be back during the summer. I think we actually discussed it. It's like, oh, this is a rough uh, uh, offensive tackle market, and it seemed like because it was kind of thin in that regard, it was driving up the price. And so that led uh, myself, and I'm sure many of you guys, going like, oh no, uh, if once Caleb McGarry and his representation see what type of money is getting thrown around, um, you know, he's going to price himself out of Atlanta, but. As we saw, and as you well know now, uh, both parties were able to come to a reasonable accord. And you, you got to credit not only the Falcons and Terry Fontenot, and uh, I forget the person who negotiates the contracts on the half, uh, formerly of the Houston Texans. I want to say his name is David something. But anyway, uh, and you also have to you know, credit you know, McGarry and his representation for getting the job done, as they often say. It takes two to tango, which I think is often forgotten uh, you know, from fans and, and elsewhere when it comes to free agency. They forget the agency part where you know, the player gets a choice in where he goes and gets a choice in how much money he gets paid as well. It's not just simply the team that decides those things. And so you go back to an episode we did last week where I sort of 
set my price for Caleb McGarry at like 10 million a year based off of, I think the Rob Havenstein contract that he signed back in 2018. And, you know, the Falcons were able to get him at 11.5 million a year. So it, you know, it's in the ballpark, right. You know, uh, I was in the mezzanine, they were in the upper deck. It's, you know, we can wave to each other uh, for where we're standing. So I think the reason you look at it, the upside of this move is you maintain that stability, that continuity on the offensive line, especially on the right side of that offensive line that has been, you know, pretty solid with him and Chris Lindstrom for years. Uh, I saw Scott Pioli on NFL Network kind of taking the victory lap earlier this week uh, with the Chris Lindstrom extension and talking about how Caleb McGarry and him have started to come into his own. And so, you know, while it was probably a little too late uh, for it to sort of save the fortunes of the Dan Quinn era, obviously the Arthur Smith uh, regime is benefiting from, you know, the vision that Thomas Dimitrov and Scott Pioli and all those people had for what this right side of the offensive line could have been. Uh, and, you know, I'm sure many of you are not necessarily complaining about, you know, it benefiting the current team as opposed to the past team. But, um, you know, I think when we talk about Caleb McGarry, and the concern of him was, you know, the central concern was he's had three kind of lackluster years and then really came on strong this past year. And, you know, I think a lot of people, myself included, have, you know, discussed a little bit about is he a one year wonder? But I think we can be reasonably optimistic that that won't be the case because we have our optimism and faith and confidence in our very own miracle worker. And that is, of course, offensive line coach Dwayne Ledford, that at least for presumably the next two years that uh, we can you know, think that Caleb McGarry is going to be around in Atlanta, that there will be little to no drop off uh, with Dwayne Ledford sort of lighting that fire under his butt. So uh, that is um it for Caleb McGarry, we'll talk a little bit more with Ross Jackson talking about David Anyamata coming up. But I hope none of you guys out there hold it against me uh, that, you know, I tried to swim off the island. I tried to catch the boat off the island, missed the boat. And, you know, I come wading back to shore all soaking wet. And, you, you know, you're just kind of looking at me like you, you tried to get off the island, didn't you? It's like, yeah, I did. You're not really a good swimmer, are you? Like, no, not really. Yeah. You want to come and, you know, get something to eat? It's like, yeah, I could eat. We got, you know, we got some coconuts. All right. Yeah, I'll, I'll just eat some coconuts. <laughs> Stick on the other for a couple more years. So don't don't hold it against me, guys, uh, in that regard. But we will continue today's episode uh, talking with Ross Jackson of Locked On Saints, talking about David Anyamata and what he will bring uh, to Atlanta, the Manitoba Mauler, I believe, is what Ross will refer to him as. So we'll get into that as we continue today's episode. But first, guys, I want to tell you that since it is beyond the midway point in the NBA season, make sure you check out FanDuel, America's number one sports book. You can download the app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. And when you are a first-time a user of FanDuel, uh, you get a no sweat first bet up to $1,000. That means you get bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. And you can use that to bet on money line, parlay, point spreads, whatever you want. And, you know, whether it's NBA, XFL, NFL draft props, whatever you want, FanDuel has you covered there. So make sure you take advantage of that no sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash locked on. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. All right, everyone, we are back with another illustrious guest. He is none other than Ross Jackson, the host of the Locked on Saints podcast. 
And I suspect Ross may be making several visits here to the illustrious <laughs> Locked On Falcons podcast this offseason to talk about ex-Saints that have signed with the Atlanta Falcons. And today we're going to be talking about David Anyamata of the New Orleans Saints, one of the newest Falcons to sign with the team. We expected a little bit of a defection uh, from New Orleans defensive line in their front seven to Atlanta, and we got that earlier uh, in the week with David Anyamata signing. And, Ross, I just want to sort of jump right into it. What's mm -hmm. sort of the general skinny that you can give us on what David Onyemata will potentially bring to the Atlanta Falcons? Uh, man, I'll tell you what, ain't nothing skinny about David Onyemata. All right, David Onyemata is a wrecking ball in the middle of the defensive line. You got yourself a good one in Atlanta, Falcons fans. And it's the thing that I'm really excited to see for David Onyemata in Atlanta, with the exception of two times a year, of course, is what it's like when he doesn't have to be the guy on the interior. That's new. For Dio. Dio, from the very beginning, even when he was paired up with Sheldon Rankins early on here in New Orleans, in the interior, right on the outside, the guy on the defensive line was always Cam Jordan. But in the interior, he's never had an elite presence next to him that takes all of the attention. And so the, the pairing of Grady Jarrett and David Onyemata with, of course, Ryan Nielsen, a defensive coordinator, working with those guys, a defensive line specialist who helped to develop David Onyemata into uh, a, a phenomenal presence for the New Orleans Saints. I know his production had been down over the course of the past couple of years, but I'm really interested to see what it's like when he's standing next to elite talent on the interior. Yeah, you, you talk about that down production, and I, I look at the, the PFF grades and you know, we can always haggle about, you know, how accurate right. those grades are. But you did see a little bit of a dip this past year in 2022, where he had two seasons prior to that, where he was graded out among the top 10 defensive tackles. And I'm just curious, did that reflect on the field? Did you feel like, OK, maybe he's not quite in his prime, maybe, you know, hitting that age 30 season that he had last year? Is there a start to slow down? And if that's the case, do you feel like being able to play next to a player like Grady Jarrett will kind of, you know, be able to prolong any sort of decline and you can see a potential boost from him to kind of rebound back to where he was in previous years. Yeah, I think that's going to be massive for him. And yeah, he took a step back in 2022, but so did the entire interior defense of the New Orleans Saints. I mean, their run defense production dropped from three straight years of being top five to 24th in the NFL when it came to rushing yards allowed. They were giving up 1.6 yards before contact consistently to running backs in that area of the field. No defensive tackle with the exception of one, Contavia Street, who's still currently a free agent, had an average depth of tackle, but for three yards downfield. So that means that on average running backs in the run game were getting three yards of, you know, they were gaining three yards beyond the line of scrimmage before they were making those tackles. And so I think the entire interior took a step back. That's not specific to just David Onyemata. And I think a part of that could be the sort of split focus that all of a sudden Ryan Nielsen had to take. He went away from being just a defensive line coach to being a co-defensive coordinator. So for a guy like David Onyemata, all of a sudden he's got three, he's got the voices of three different guys in his ear between the two co-defensive coordinators and of course, Dennis Allen, who is the defense, right? And so I think that might have had a little bit of an impact. We saw him really start to come on later on in the season. That's been a little bit of a trend for him uh, over the course of the past few years. Yes, there were a couple of years where he missed games early on because of suspensions and things like that. But even still, when he's been available, it's taken a little bit of time for him to sort of 
ramp up, if you will. But those are all things that I think get helped massively being right next to Grady Jarrett, who's going to take up the double teams, that's going to get the interior attention, that's going to get those ace blocks, those duo blocks, those things that are going to allow David Onyemata, those one-on-one opportunities, as well as, of course, the guys on the edge as well. Absolutely. So we are definitely here in Atlanta looking forward to what David Anyamata will bring on the field. And hopefully we can see him, you know, wreck uh, Saints QBs like uh, (laughs) Derek Carr uh, as much as he has wrecked Falcons QBs over the years. I am I'm certainly uh, not sad to see him, uh, you know, in in Atlanta Falcons uniform so that I do not have to watch guard after guard after guard get completely pancaked by him (laughs) in the middle of that offensive line. So just to to make sure that you know, too, the nickname that he's bringing with him, because I want you to make sure you get the right nickname because you'll hear him called D.O., things like that. That's what we usually call him in the locker room. But the big media nickname, and this was thanks to uh, Nick Underhill, uh, a couple of guys over at New Orleans Football, is the Manitoba Mauler. So that's the guy, that's the nickname that you should be rolling with and keeping alive over in Atlanta. Manitoba okay. Mahler. All right. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> thanks for the heads up. We will we will see what we could do with that. Uh, but really appreciate you joining me, uh, Ross, on today's episode. Always a pleasure, dude. So, of course, guys, there's more to come on today's episode talking with Ross Jackson about Caden Ellis, the newest Atlanta Falcons linebacker. But um, you know, speaking of linebackers and defensive tackles it's an awful segue but we'll roll with it uh you know the georgia pro day was on today and if you want to find out more on a certain defensive tackle high profile defensive tackle in uh jalen carter uh you know get the lowdown on what went on at the georgia pro day by checking out locked on bulldogs or you can check out locked on sports atlanta all part of the locked on podcast network your team every day so, guys, we're here with Ross Jackson of Locked On Saints, and uh, we got uh, Saints t- players to talk about. Hmm, such a surprise that the <laughs> New Orleans Saints players are defecting to the Atlanta Falcons. And we're talking today about Caden Ellis, the newest Atlanta Falcons linebacker, formerly of the New Orleans Saints. And the thing about Caden Ellis was kind of quiet the first couple of years mm-hmm. in New Orleans, kind of a special teams guy, a reserve player. And then all of a sudden, midway through 2022, Caden Ellis gets a chance to step in for an injured Pete Warner and explodes into basically one of the top linebackers in the NFL. And I'm sure Saints fans are sort of now hoping uh, with Caden Ellis, you know, defecting a little bit to the east to Atlanta, that that eight game stretch at the end of the year was just a mirage. But I'm curious, had he stayed in New Orleans, uh, you know, would you be expecting what we saw in the second half of 2022 to be something that you would realistically expect from Caden Ellis uh, continuing moving forward in New Orleans? I, I don't think you would have had the same expectation, but that doesn't come down to Caden Ellis's talent. This guy deserves a starting role. He wouldn't have had one in New Orleans. That's why he wouldn't have probably, that's why you would have seen sort of the production not matched is that he might not have hit the field in New Orleans if Demario Davis and Pete Werner, the guys ahead of him, stayed healthy, right? And so Caden Ellis got this massive opportunity to show everybody who we all kind of knew who he was coming out of Idaho, watching him test and all the incredible stuff that he did. De- uh, uh, Demario Davis called him the best kept secret of the NFL, which is really high remarks coming from a guy that was formerly the best kept secret in the NFL, right? And so, uh, you know, I, so I look at it and I, I kind of look at it both ways is that 
Yes, he is a, a remarkably productive player. Seven sacks in that season, improved as a coverage guy. We watched that process take place throughout training camp last year up until he finally got his opportunity to be out there. Great in the run game, good scraper, moves laterally, gets sideline to sideline, but can also like bug the quarterback for you uh, if you need him to as well and come in and get those sacks. And so for for all of that, New Orleans Saints fans should have wanted to keep him in New Orleans. We're absolutely justified in keeping him in New Orleans. But he wouldn't have had the same level of production in New Orleans without those opportunities. Now at Atlanta, he gets those opportunities. So I don't think it's going to be a mirage. Uh, but I do think that had he stayed in New Orleans, you wouldn't have had the same expectations that you have with him now getting a starting role elsewhere. Yeah. And, you know, with Caden Ellis, I think the thing that stands out the most about him is that pass rush production mm -hmm. stemming from his time purely as a defensive end, edge rusher, whatever you want to call it, uh, in college at Idaho. But I, I am curious, you know, beyond that, um, you know, the run ability, the run defense, the the coverage ability that you sort of already mentioned, what are some of the other elements that he can potentially bring to the field for the Atlanta Falcons? And, you know, do some of those other elements, you know, can he impact on all three downs or is it primarily just kind of a third down role for uh, him? Yeah, no, I mean, he can be a three-down linebacker for you in, in Atlanta, for sure. And I think the thing that makes that possible for him is that not only did he play edge rusher at Idaho, he played, you know, coverage linebacker. He played safety. He took snaps at three-tech <laughs> at nose tackle for Idaho because you know how those small programs go sometimes. You just got to get somebody uh, to take the snap. And so he's done a lot. And if I recall correctly, he also has played quarterback before, too, in his past. And so, I mean, I think you just look at him as a guy that is an all-around linebacker that still has room before he hits his ceiling. I mean, he still has development potential ahead of him. And a guy like Ryan Nielsen, who's very familiar with him, who's been with him since he was drafted, knows exactly what it is that Caden Ellis is and can be and is going to get the absolute best out of Caden. And so I think you get sort of somebody that could be that all around um, I don't want to call him master of none because his pass rushing production is so good. But, you know, you look at him as excelling there and then also being solid to serviceable in coverage, in run defense, in get, you know, being disruptive, all of those pieces. And then the other thing that you look for from him, too, is what, what happens now if he steps into a leadership role? Right. I mean, this would be a real opportunity for him to be a vocal leader. And we've seen glimpses of that from him. But, you know, not really an opportunity for him to be that guy when you've got Demario Davis and Caden Ellis and Tyron Matthew on your defense as well. So that's going to be a good thing for him, too. And then the last thing that I'll mention is, is his versatility. He came in as somebody that they knew would be able to play a strong side run stopping linebacker role, cross trained him at Mike his rookie year. And then he got the opportunities to you know, have the green dot, make those communications calls. And then over the course of his time filling in for Pete Werner, when Pete Werner was injured here in New Orleans, he got to play a little bit of weak side coverage linebacker as well. So he gives you versatility in terms of the traditional 4-3 defense. I know that's different than what he'll be asked to do in, uh, in Atlanta. But if you line him up as an outside linebacker, he has that experience. But if you need him on the inside to make calls and, and, and cover tight ends and, and make coverage over the middle, he could do that as well. Absolutely. So looking forward to what he can bring here to Atlanta. And Ross, I have a feeling that you may be back on this podcast in the next couple of days. Uh, <laughs> you know, you mentioned, I think, Contavia Street, but I, I have a strong feeling that Contavia Street seems to follow wherever Ryan Nielsen goes from <laughs> NC State to New Orleans. So I feel like at some point we'll be talking about Contavia Street and we'll see what other New Orleans Saints will uh, be talking about potentially on Locked On Falcons. But let the people know what you are talking about on Locked On Saints in the coming days and weeks.
Well, a big part of it is uh, recovering from the defensive exodus <laughs> right now. How do the New Orleans Saints rebuild their defensive line so that when they travel to Atlanta or Atlanta comes to them, guys like Tyler Algier and other running backs they could potentially add this offseason, and of course Cordell Patterson, who's given them fits year after year after year, don't just run all over them again. So that's a big part of what the New Orleans Saints need to recover from while they continue to rebuild their offense. Can Michael Thomas stay healthy? We'll see, but he'll certainly be back in the black and gold. And how do they continue to uh, – you know, align the weapons with Derek Carr uh, here in New Orleans uh, all throughout. So we'll be breaking down all of that, looking ahead to the draft, everything over on Locked on Saints. Absolutely. Looking forward uh, to that and uh, looking forward to future guest spots here on Locked on Falcons. I just I just enjoy seeing the look on your face, Ross, as you have to talk glowingly about (laughs) ex New Orleans Saints. Hey, look, uh, man, what they could do in Atlanta. I I will. I will always give an honest representation of these players. I'm not going to come in here and say because they're not New Orleans Saints anymore, that they're no longer going to be good. Like these guys were good. And uh, there's no reason to expect that they won't be moving forward. And, uh, you know, these these are guys I've gotten to know personally as well and so uh, i'm excited to see their successes as they move forward uh regardless of where they're playing and regardless of what jersey they're wearing absolutely so guys that's going to do it for us here on today's locked on falcons I want to thank ross jackson uh for joining me on today's episode to talk about some former new orleans saints that are now atlanta falcons i suspect this probably won't be the last time we will have ross on this podcast over the next couple of weeks to talk about a former saints player that is now an atlanta falcon but we'll see how that goes and tomorrow's episode we you know don't know quite exactly what we'll talk about just because we're just kind of seeing what other moves trickle in uh beyond the moves that have already been made um, but, you know, potentially we could also explore sort of now that the Falcons have added several players, what is left for them to address in free agency? Uh, I know of a couple of people have sort of asked me that sort of who who do you want? Who do you expect? Uh, what else needs do the Falcons need to fill? So that may be a topic that we can potentially explore on tomorrow's episode. I'm sure we'll also be joined by uh, guests from Locked on Bengals or Locked on Titans to talk about Jesse Bates, John o. Smith, respectively. Uh, so you can look forward to that as well in the coming days and weeks here on the podcast. But guys, that is going to do it for us. Please continue to make us your first listen so you can check out all the great content we have coming your way. But also check out Locked on NFL Scouting with the Draft Dudes as your second listen. Kyle Krabs, Joe Marino, are back and they're just a couple of guys being dudes taking you through what it is like to build a successful NFL franchise every day on YouTube or wherever you get your podcast, all part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.